You're about to watch a great interview on TYT interviews. If you wanna watch them live, members are the only ones who get to do that. TYTnetwork.com slash join, become a member, enjoy the interviews as they happen. We've got a really interesting interview for you guys today. It's with Andrew Cabby, he shot the film Scorched Earth. It's about the Yazidi, but he originally went there with the Shoah Foundation to document the genocide that was happening of the Yazidi. And so he's here with me now, Drew, welcome. Thanks. So there's so much I wanna ask about what happened to the Yazidis and what their current situation is. First, let's talk about why you guys went there in the first place. Well, we were there to document the survivors from the ISIS genocide, mainly amongst the Yazidi, but Anyone was welcome to speak. Um, uh, we got quite a few interviews, and we were in there when they were just sort of moving into Mosul. So the uh, they were recapturing a lot of people who had been living in basically slave conditions for the last three years, four years. So what what years were that, or what time period? This was almost a year ago, exactly. Okay, so at that point, ISIS is beginning to retreat, and so. Um, Kind of the good guys are recapturing places like Mosul, mm-hmm. right? And that's when you guys come in and you can talk to the Yazidi because they're now in in territory that has been freed from ISIS. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we were in the Kurdish region of Iraq, which is a, was up until we were midsummer. It was a very stable place. And then as they invaded Mosul, it sort of like destabilized for a little bit as like all the rats ran out of the city, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what did the Shoah Foundation want to do there? Well, the Shoah Foundation is this this wonderful charity where Spielberg set it up in the 90s when he was working on Schindler's List. And I believe he was documenting all the survivors of the Holocaust. And then when they pretty much had got as many as they could from that, they sort of extended the program and went on to say, look, let's just keep keep this going and document as many of these Right, so that we don't forget. Exactly, it's yeah. it's an educational archive. They're setting it up over at USC in the library there, and it's I don't know when it's due to open, but you know it's also a resource that's used in schools all over the country. It's an educational program. So before we talk about why ISIS targeted the Yazidis, for the folks who don't know, who are the Yazidis? Okay, the Yazidis is a um, it's sort of a I guess has its roots back in Zoroasterism. It's an ancient religion. Their uh, calendar goes back about ten thousand years. I'm not sure on the specifics of who and what, but they're a very small minority of Kurds, but all Yazidi are Kurds, but not all Kurds are Yazidi. Right, Kurds are, are mainly uh, Muslim, and uh, mm-hmm. and so Yazidis are not Muslim, uh, and and but they are a small uh, section of the Kurds that, that live in, in that area of the world. Right, particularly yeah. the Shingal Mountain region. Yeah. Right, ISIS has a lot of folks to fight. Why, why, why did they pick on the Yazidis? Well, first of all, they're on the Shingal Mountain, and the Shingal Mountain is the gateway into Syria on the 47 highway, and it's this monolithic mountain that sort of sits by itself right over the Nineveh Plain, which is this ancient strategic plain, and it sort of controls the region. And that, it's kind of hard to take people back and remember a time where we didn't really know who ISIS was, but when ISIS originally moved in and took Mosul, you know, I mean, we knew they weren't great, but a lot of we weren't sure what their intentions were, and when they went in and circled the Shingle Mountain, and they had coverage, I believe it was Fox that first aired it. They were airlifting them off the mountain. It was a huge humanitarian crisis, and then what followed was the cartoonish, ridiculous violence that you saw right after that. And that's sort of like the moment that that pretty much set off the refugee crisis and revealed like the true nature of what ISIS was. So 
Let's take it one step at a time. Do the Yazidi basically mainly live on Shingal Mountain? Well, no, they're interspersed throughout, but a large portion of them live right there. That's like a where they're mostly centered. But and ISIS literally the surrounded the mountain? Yeah, they did. They came right out of Mosul. They had already invaded into Iraq with Sunni support. And then they and then they moved into the Kurdish region, which the Kurds are a popular target for everyone in the region. And uh, when they went that direction, it was sort of like we're gonna we're gonna attack the Kurds. And then they surrounded them. And then the Yazidis, I believe, were targeted because, you know, they're the lowest hanging fruit. They're Kurds, which makes them unpopular, but they're also not Muslims. Uh, they they believe in um, uh, they're they're um, it's monotheistic, but mm-hmm. they have seven angels that they also are like maybe like. Angels or saints like you worshiped to, and yeah. one of them's like the peacock angel, and so they were accused of being animist, so they were mm-hmm. very low level. But you know, I can't get in and speak for what ISIS was thinking, but it also does seem like you know they would take the women and kill all the men, and and this they have this um, practice of making wives out of them, but they're not really wives; they're like slaves that get traded around for the sex trade. So that that's also. Uh, Really interesting and disturbing. I want to talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, so I'm agnostic. Uh, I grew up in a very secular uh, Muslim family, mm-hmm. so we barely ever went to mosque or you know or any of that stuff. So it, easy for a Turk like me to become agnostic. Uh, so to me, it seems preposterous that like Christians with the three things, the Holy Ghost, etc., versus the seven things of the Yazidi. Who cares? Like, who, but for obviously, when in the region, that is enormously important, especially if you're doing a holy war, which is what ISIS yeah. claimed they were doing. And and so, I just want the audience to understand when he says they're when Drew's talking about how low they are, everybody in there, depending on their ethnicity, their particular religion, etc., have a social hierarchy in their mind. And the reason people are against the Kurds is because the Kurds are outliers. They're kind of stuck between the Turks and the and the Arabs in Iraq, Syria, and all these places. The Persians, yeah. And the Persians in Iran. And no one wants to give them a state. And so they view the Kurds as a, a, a potential hostile force that might take part of their land. Since I, I believe the Kurds are the largest ethnic group in the world that doesn't have their own nation. Yes. And so so they get it they get hit from all sides mm-hmm. and they and so the Turks are very wary of them and so are the Iraqi and the Iranians etc and then ISIS comes along out of Raqqa Syria that's their capital they come into Iraq they take Mosul then they head over to this mountain and 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 they think easy target no the other Arabs and the Turks aren't going to protect the Yazidi they or because they're Turk Kurdish Right, mm-hmm. and and plus, it's a religion that has no backing in their region, almost. Right, they were very, they they claim to have had this was the seventy fourth attempted genocide on the Yazidi people. So this isn't a new thing. They're the lowest hanging fruit. Whenever you want to target a, a group of people, and say it's their fault, let's punish them. They're the easiest ones. And and it's that same story all across the world, where the people uh, that want to demagogue and drive fear and hatred pick. The people with the least amount of power and pretend they're the real problem. Like they are the, the ones that caused the problem in the first place. They have all sorts of power. How the hell would the Yazidi have power, right? And here in America, it's the guy who crossed the border without a dollar in his pocket. 
He's the one that's causing all your problems. He doesn't have any power. How the hell would he cause any problems, right? So it's always targeting the the weakest, and and so they surround the mountain. But then something a little unexpected happened. The world paid attention. So at that moment, I was surprised at how much actually the world focused. Now these days, that focus is gone, right? And we'll talk about that too. Well, I mean, it did take quite a bit of time. You know, I mean, it was. A full seven days before anyone did anything, and this is from day one through day seven. There were resources in the region. Uh, the Peshmerga, which is the Kurdish army, they were falling back under this onslaught. I mean, the other part of this is that when they came out of Mosul, they had just captured roughly a billion dollars of U.S. war equipment and had been learning to use it. And then they were ISIS, employing, yeah. yeah, ISIS was using all of this against this re- regional protection forces and. And uh, it's actually quite an amazing feat that they were actually able to hold them from taking, on, taking the mountain completely and were able to get all these people out. And it's, it's really, and they did it largely with, with a little help, but not much. And, and then what happens on day seven when, uh, who came to start well, the French, airlifting? The French came first and, uh-huh. then, and then we started. I believe it was the sixth where Maliki went out. And then uh-huh. a body came in, which was a new president for the uh, Iraqi Iraq. Republic. Yeah. And there's a, there's differing stories on what was going on politically behind the scenes about who got involved in what. But there's no mistakes about what these guys started doing. But this is the first day, like on day one, it's sort of like shocking, like the level of commitment to violence. So what did ISIS do to the Yazidi? Well, they they killed as many men and a lot of children. I mean, the, whole, the stories are just ridiculous i mean it's it's like it's i can't even describe what you you learn but um fundamentally they kept all the women women between 12 and 35 and turned them into sex slaves and everyone else they killed jesus so how many yazidi are there roughly and what percentage did they kill uh they I'm not sure on the exact number of Yazidi. It's really hard to get good figures, but it's not more than a few hundred thousand, and um, you know maybe up to close to a million. And they killed. It's there's really just big disputes about the number that were killed, and it's really hard to get a, a figure on it. And every time you try to nail one down, you get into a lot of trouble. So I'm yeah, sure I want to yeah, I I say, but they yeah. they killed quite a few. Um, and without the the Kurdish region to fall back to, it would have been even worse, I think. So, um, where did they take the woman uh, after they captured them? Um, back to Mosul. Uh, the stories are varied. There's some that are still in uh, they're still in Syria. There's a lot that are still in Syria. Um, we, we don't know where they all went. Some have been in Turkey. Um, you know, it's 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 hard to decipher how far they spread but mainly in Iraq and Syria and into those regions is where most of them ended up and so originally they start out as sex slaves for ISIS and their soldiers i presume uh, do they then get sold yeah there was a trade in them and as as it got worse for ISIS they started trading them more rapidly and you know there's there's the values went up and down there was a huge black market selling them back to the to their families which is you know, which was a oh, very controversial practice. Yeah, uh-huh. a lot of these women that are in the camps are in a tremendous amounts of debt that their family had to take on to buy them back out of slavery. Wow. So, the the reason why it's controversial, I imagine, is authorities don't want you to do that because it encourages taking more women 
Well, uh, I mean, the women were gone at this point. They weren't going to be able to take too many more women because they were re re really up against some stiff, stiff opposition once they kind of formed the lines. Um, so uh, I think it was more about financing ISIS. You know, they don't. Right. You pay for them, and then you're you're funding terrorism. You know? Right, and it's it's uh, easier in principle, but if it's your daughter or wife uh, or aunt who was captured, mm -hmm. you know, what wouldn't you do to get them? Yeah, that righteous indignation is is kind of hard to. Yeah, yeah. No. It's like if it was your family, you would definitely pay to get them out. I mean, it's yeah, it's not even arguable. Right. So uh, after. So how do the Yazidis mainly get rescued there? Does ISIS move on at some point because they're taking they're, shelling? Well, rescued or escaped? I mean, uh -huh. uh, and you know, this is sort of like the whole point of of what I was trying to do with the film that I was making. There was that, like the stories are amazing of for the initial attack and everything else. It's just like the worst of the worst, right? Of human nature, of like the dark soul of humanity, and all of this crap's going on. But then there's these little stories of. Just incredible acts of self-sacrifice of people who got people out, and some of them weren't even that good of people, mm -hmm. you know. And then something happens, and they turn a corner, and they're like, you know, you need to go, and and maybe they sacrifice their life. And there's a lot of stories of people who made huge sacrifices to get people out. So where did the Yazidi wind up after the the whole uh, situation in the mountain is well, resolved? Well, Yazidi, as in every almost everyone, has ended up in Kurdistan. Is Kurdistan is the northern region of Iraq. It's sort of an autonomous region, and it's also part of Iraq. So it's 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 kind of the the population of Kurdistan right now, I believe, is about 5.2 million, and mm -hmm. about one and a half million of them are IDPs and refugees, and that means internal displaced persons, mm -hmm. but. An internal displaced person, they're in actually in Kurdistan. So these aren't really Kurds. And so they're in these refugee camps all over. And if you go up on a mountain at night, it's really amazing because you can just see them like the old towns, you can they're like a jumbled mess of lights. But the new cities mm -hmm. that they've built for just tent cities, they're just laid out in grids across the desert and they just there's tons of them. I think there's like 20 around the region we were in. How long are they going to live in those tent cities? Well, they've been there four years. Uh, ever since the t area has been seized back, they aren't being repatriated back to their home in the Shingal region. They're all still mainly living in the camps. They're saying it's not secure, but there's a lot of politics going on there right now. So they had homes in the Shingal region. It's it's all been flattened. Yeah, they bulldozed them. They blew them all up. ISIS did. Mm, yes. And then the people fighting against ISIS and dropping bombs, etc. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, if they then they got no homes to go back to. No. So, does anyone know what's going to happen with them? They can't live in tents forever. Uh, that I mean, that's why we're doing this. You know, I mean, there there has to be some sort of end game, and the only thing I can think of is education. You know, education is a powerful tool, and a lot of the kids that were seized were re-educated to be. By ISIS, and they they would return them to their homes, and they would try to kill their parents. And oh so, my God! Yeah, it's like this is this is full on, you know. And so you start seeing how committed ISIS was to education, mm -hmm. and you start going, well, why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we just educate people? I mean, this world we live in is so complicated that we need to know more about. That we don't get the old good old days of a Cold War where you just have black and are you a commie or are you not a commie? Okay, cool, you get your own country. It's like you know, there's a lot of Things we have to understand now, and that's really all I can say. Now that you want to talk about complicated, this is an, partly an unanswerable question. But who are the good guys in this story, other than the Yazidi? 
Other than the Yazidi, I'd have to say that the the Kurdish people. I mean, the stories of of heroism from the Kurds is. I mean, they're the ones who really beat ISIS. It's kind of like the Russians in the in the World War II beating the Germans. I mean, no one really talks about it, but they're the ones that won the war. And it's mm. sort of the same with the the Kurdish people. The Kurdish people beat ISIS, and you know, arguably for their own good, because mm. you know ISIS was coming for them. You know, right? Um, but they're the Sort of the obvious good guy in this story. It gets super complicated because Iraq is fighting against ISIS as well, but they don't like that the Kurds have an autonomous region within Iraq. So they're not, you know, their relationship, the Kurds' relationship with the rest of Iraq is dicey. Yeah, um, and aid that's coming in for, like, like this will tell you what the rest of Iraqi think about the situation, okay? Almost 1.3 million refugees are living in Kurdistan, there's less than 50,000, I think, in the rest of Iraq. We're sending all the money to Baghdad that they're supposed to be sending to Kurdistan, but Baghdad attacked Kurdistan in October when they had the referendum election for independence and then cut them off, cut off the borders and has been starving them. I know they're in really bad need of medical health. It was a really tough winter in the camps this year. So let's talk about that a little bit more because so the Yazidi are mainly now in Kurdistan mm -hmm. and then you talk about and then you just mentioned there that Iraq attacked that area. Mm -hmm. Okay, just give me a little bit more on that. Well, they had a referendum for independence. It was just a vote to say, we wanna be our own country. We're the Kurds, we've been attacked by everybody. You've tried to wipe us off the face of the earth. The Iraqi government hadn't paid them their fair share from the oil revenue for a long time. And um, they just said, we want our independence. And this has been too many times now. And this, I think the last straw was with when ISIS took a left turn and went straight into Kurdistan. And, you know, we, they were waiting for support from the Iraqi army, never came. And the clearance to, I think, fight ISIS was a big issue. And, you know, I've never been able to get really good answers on what was going on. But, um, you know, that's all that the vote was about. And that's when, but this had been going on the whole summer while we were there. They, the Hashtal Shabi invaded, uh, which is the Iranian militia, uh, well, Iranian backed militia, I, I should say. There were mainly Iraqis, but um, they attacked the Kirkuk area and took that back and the Shingal Mountain region and took that back. and um, Took it back for Iraq. From, from the Kurdish army who had taken it. Right. And the US had stopped the, the Peshmerga, which was the Kurdish regional army, from advancing further into ISIS territory so that the Iraqis could kind of get it together and do it themselves because they were afraid of who would control what, not give it back. And just this week, uh, both Iran and Turkey were bombing in Kurdistan, so like Iraqi isn't protecting their sovereign territory up there either. Look, there's a lot of people who've been crushed throughout the world and throughout history, uh, but the the Kurds have really been battered. Yeah. I mean, almost uniquely battered. Mm -hmm. uh, and whenever anyone makes a promise to them, they almost always go back on it. They the Kurds are used when they you need to fight ISIS mm -hmm. or you need to fight someone else, and the minute that is over, all promises made to the Kurds are out the door. Yeah, and you know it's really kind of interesting right now because kind of everybody's pressing on them again, and you have like one and maybe one and a half million people there, and what if they attack? You know, that's another mass migration of humanity. We're just sending it to EU again. I mean, and look how we deal with migrants here. Imagine like those kinds of numbers, you know, and this is where they go to be treated like humans, you know, and yeah, it, when when we were all. Uh, ready to go after ISIS, the Yazidi uh, trapped on the mountain was a compelling storyline. Mm -hmm. uh, now that our allies uh, in whether it's Iraq or Turkey attacking 
Kurdistan, all of a sudden the Yazidi are gone from the national picture, from the news, right. and we never hear about them again. Mm -hmm. So if ISIS is attacking them, we gotta protect the Yazidi. If our allies are attacking them, Gone. Well, if they're our allies, you know, I mean, yeah. it's all a gray area right now. It's, yeah, it's so it's so complicated. Like I said, I, I don't I don't even have like a good way to advocate. You know, it's like, hey, send money here and it'll help. It, it, I mean, it's that bad. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about the movie before we run out of time. So, okay. what what did you uh, in the in the midst of all that? What did you do with uh, creating a movie? Well, you know, there was a. I think it's about catharsis for those in the region. They still live in camps. There's been no real like. Like truth and reconciliation that they had in South Africa, you know, and this is what the people wanted. And so we were planning on shooting a movie here. Funny enough, about the militias that patrol the border, and the, and mm -hmm. we took that money and we, you know, helped them out finish, you know, finishing their film over there. And we sort of, you know, they didn't really have the expertise to, to do that. And so it's an actual narrative feature film that we shot in a red zone. And uh, I sometimes question the wisdom of. That choice. When you guys had to shoot a scene, which is in the trailer of ISIS coming in, you had the ISIS flag. Mm -hmm. Then you guys realize at some point, uh oh, they might think this is a real ISIS flag and somebody might bomb us. There were very close calls several times. And in hindsight, I, I kind of don't want to talk about it too much on camera because you feel kind of stupid. But yeah, I mean, we're, we were in with the Peshmerga, they had given us. Uh, uh, vehicles to dress up and soldiers to wear the ISIS costumes, and then we we were driving around shooting uh, the convoys moving through the desert, and and we ran into a Canadian special forces team, and it was uh, pretty pretty dicey because they were like, "You guys got to get out of here. This is yeah. not a good idea." Well, you're lucky it was Canadian special forces. <laughs> yeah, we were lucky they didn't shoot us. Yeah, we deserved absolutely. it. All right, uh, Drew Cabby, uh, the movie Scorched Earth and Shoah Foundation, amazing work there. Uh, thank you for at least uh, being a voice for the, for the voiceless. Well, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. If you like the interview that you just watched, I got great news for you. If you become a Young Turks member, you could watch them live as they happen. Only the members get that. You also get Young Turks live. You also get Aggressive Progressive live and Old School live. Everything is available for the members and commercial free. tytnetwork.com slash join.